King James Version, Mark chapter 16, verses 17 and 18, quote, And these signs shall follow them that believe. In my name shall they cast out devils. They shall speak with new tongues. They shall take up serpents. And if they drink any deadly thing, it shall not hurt them. They shall lay hands on the sick, and they shall recover. This is not a podcast about religion. It is not a podcast about the five signs of Mark 16, of handling serpents, drinking poisonous substances, or other acts of great faith. This is a podcast about songs, songs of them that believe the signs that have never taken their rightful place on the shelves of Americana. And perhaps that's because they are songs about the five signs of Mark 16, of handling serpents, drinking harmful substances, and other acts of great faith. I believe in the Bible side of taking up serpent and drank straight night. Little David, play on your heart. Hallelujah, hallelujah. play on your heart. This is the story of ex-preacher turned folk artist named Abe Partridge, an Alabama songwriter who took a $750 Sony handheld recorder to serpent-handling churches across West Virginia, Tennessee, Kentucky, and his home state of Alabama. This episode's field recordings were captured at the House of the Lord Jesus in Squire, West Virginia. This is Alabama Astronaut. And here's your host, Farrell Gibbs. What's happening, my friend? Where are you? I'm headed down to the Panama City Songwriter Festival this weekend, playing Friday and Saturday. That's awesome. Yeah, man. It's going to be a good time. They're putting us up in a nice hotel at the Hilton that's awesome i'm so glad y'all are getting a chance to get away i will not bother you long just a couple of things about that church up in west virginia when you were in chris walford's church do you think he was talking about you up top when he was saying that a lot of people come to see this i know a lot of people come to see that that's all right that's all god but moody let me tell you what kind of power god's got our government has spent millions of dollars, got rehab set up all across this land. They can take a heroin addict, a cocaine addict, they can put them in up for six months, dry them out, and two days after the release, they got their nose right back down in the bag. But oh, the power, of the, the blood that Jesus shed, you can come to this order and you can give it to him. Yeah, for sure, man. 
a hundred percent, dude. You know, I was the only guy there that wasn't already a part of the uh, the tribe. Were you scared? I mean, uh, not of the people. I mean, I'm scared of the snakes, but not of the people. Chris Walford, he's, he walks around the whole time, but he walked all the way to the very back where I was sitting, and he put his finger in my face, you know, and he's preaching away, and um, he says, you know, I ain't trying to pick on you. It's just some, something along those lines. Tell mom the other day, people come in, and they're sitting in the back. You sit back here, and we can see. I'm not picking on you, brother. But back here, I can see everything that's going on, Robin. How many people were there, Abe? I don't know, there's, there's probably about 20, 20 people there, maybe 25. Can you tell me kind of what the room looked like? Well, I always sit on the back row, and my deal is if the snake ever starts coming down that aisle, whether it's in somebody's hands or not, I'm I'm dipping. But, uh, <laughs> so I'm I'm always, yeah, I'm always right at the back row. And, you know, every church I've ever been to is kind of set up the same, really, I guess. There's usually two rows of pews in a middle aisle. The one in Squire had a big sign in memory of their founding preacher, Mac Wolford, right above Chris Wolford's head, you know, the whole time he's up in the pulpit in memory of his brother. A pastor from Pike County, West Virginia, is dead after a rattlesnake bit him. The Reverend Mac Wolford was a snake handling preacher who used venomous snakes as part of religious services and widely controversial practice. Wolford was recently named the focus of an upcoming documentary. Even as a teenager, Pastor Wolford watched his own father die from a snake bite before he went on to survive three snake bites himself throughout his ministry. There's photographs and there's artwork all around the church. There's a lot of, you know, commemorations of him. Of course, they have big speakers, like they have speakers way bigger than what is necessary for a room of that size. I mean, you could get away with no speakers at all in churches of these size. But they had big PA speakers that, I, I mean, I, I put earplugs in in the church. I, I, I carry earplugs, you know. I've, I've been carrying earplugs for years because the music I play and, and shows I end up finding myself at. And uh, those people have got to have some hearing loss, man, because, I mean, the speakers are just rumbling and the bass frequencies really rumble. And if my recorder wasn't as nice as it is, my recorder, if it ever overloads, it's not overload, what do you call it, clips? Whenever that happens, it automatically pushes back 12 dB on the recording. Otherwise, that recording I made there would have sounded horrible. I had my microphone set at like 3, 3 out of 10, you know, and it was still clipping. That's how loud it was in this church. Abe, I think his name is, he's from a... Alabama, he said he just got vaccinated with the serpent hand on veins. I tell you something better than that, you can get vaccinated with Jesus. I tell you, there ain't nothing we can do without Jesus anyway. That's the kind of power that God's got. I tell you, taking up serpents was nothing. Brother, the greatest miracle to me.
The song that was playing as he comes into his talking about the snakes and they'll bite you and they'll get you, was that canned music? Were they playing it through the speakers or was that a real band? Every bit of music you hear is all from the band that was on the stage. Do you have one? You might not know the names of them, but do you have one on that that you liked better than the other ones? The band at that church was by far the best band. I think the compelling musical recording that I got there, and it is my favorite recording that I got the whole week, was just right at the start. When he gets up there and he starts preaching, and then you can hear the band behind him just kind of warming up. A lot of people get fascinated with this, but really what they don't realize what gets them is that spirit. They come and they see us worshiping. They see the power, but they feel that there's something... Oh, there's something there. They can't see it, but they can feel there's something different. That's what's drawing them. It ain't got nothing to do with the box, but it's the power of God that reaches like crescendos into this like uh orgasmic spiritual uh event if you listen i think it's around the 45 minute mark his preaching just begins to elevate they break into this like full-blown boogie woogie rock and roll stuff Pretty much all the 25 people there are up and dancing, doing their twirls. And, and then, you know, it was like 45 minutes into the into that recording. You know, the snakes came out. They drank strychnine. They had fire bottles under their chins. So to me, the audio of that was what was the most compelling. Just that buildup of, you know, the music around the preaching. Good morning. Good morning. How are you doing? Dr. Spencer Green, board certified medical toxicologist and founder of Bayou City Toxicology and Emergency Medicine Consultants, helping physicians and other healthcare professionals provide better care of patients with toxicological emergencies, including envenomations. Well, I have a friend, Abe Partridge artist extraordinaire, musician, and songwriter. And he has this recently developed interest in the songs of snake handlers here in America. And he says the music is about as wild and unchained as the handling of snakes itself. Can you walk us maybe through the process from bite to death? So in the United States, we have pit vipers, which include your copperheads, cottonmouths, and rattlesnakes. And they're responsible for over 98% of envenomations in the United States. Most bites are characterized 
by local pain and tissue injury. More than 95% of envenomations are going to have tissue injury and local damage. You'll see bruising, you'll see swelling. It's pretty painful. A lot of people describe it as feeling like they got shot or hit with a hammer. And for most people, that's all they're going to get. So they're going to get progressive local swelling. Sometimes it's, it's really significant. You know, it can involve the entire extremity. It can go up the arm, into the shoulder, into the chest, into the abdomen. But for most people, they're going to have local damage and that's it. All that you know on this subject, would you pick up, would you hold a venomous snake? I would absolutely not freehandle a venomous snake. So my co-authors and I just published a paper not too long ago looking at all the fatal snake bites in the United States from uh, 1989 to 2018. And there were 101 cases that we identified. And one of the biggest risk factors was intentionally handling the snake, particularly in the setting of religious services. These people also didn't seek treatment after they were envenomated. Like I said, there were 101 fatalities in 30 years. So that's a really low percentage, only like an average of 3.4 deaths per year out of 10,000 bites. Can you address poisons, drinking poisons? Absolutely, of course. I mean, I'm a toxicologist, is what I do. So, okay, there's a young preacher named Cody Coots up in Kentucky who said at a service one time, he drank a concoction of battery acid, strychnine, and cyanide. The glass was extremely cold, and when he drank it, it felt like slime going down his throat. Do you, as a doctor who specializes in this, find it surprising that he and others survive this? Um, if he actually drank everything he said he drank, and if he consumed it in the right quantity, it's a miracle, but it's probably not true. So there's two things to consider here. One of the grandfathers of toxicology was Paracelsus, and his quote has been loosely translated in English as, the dose makes a poison. Translation something like, everything is with poison and nothing is without poison. The dose makes the difference. I can consume cyanide or I can consume strychnine and be totally fine if I take a small enough quantity. If I take a large enough quantity, it's going to kill me. He may have said he took battery acid. He may have said he took strychnine. He may have said he took cyanide. And maybe he did, but he took such an insignificant quantity that it's, it doesn't make a difference. Conversely, he may have done something beforehand to prevent its absorption. So one of the things that we do in toxicology on occasion is give charcoal. When people were studying charcoal, like, you know, 200 years ago, or there was this professor of pharmacy in Paris who suspected that charcoal could prevent the absorption of toxicants. And he took 10 times the lethal dose of strychnine after he took some charcoal and he survived. I could not help but notice when I found you, Dr. Green, on the top of your Facebook profile, you wrote this as a heading, quote, anti-vaxxers and other ignorami are not welcome here. I'm gonna go ahead and assume that our current times are pretty difficult for you, aren't they? On this hand over here, you've got a person completely in the zone, knows the risks, fully aware that their fate is in God's hands, holding a rattlesnake. On the other hand over here, you have a person during this pandemic who is anti-mask and cites sources that masks are not effective. Which one of these do you hold in higher esteem? A snake handling preacher or an average American protesting the wearing of a mask? Okay, so whom do I hold in higher esteem? The snake handler for a few reasons. One, snakes are cool, okay? <laughs> and this person isn't denying the possibility of injury or death. This person's willing to accept his fate. So I respect that. The person who won't wear a mask is talking about a piece of fabric that causes no harm, that costs no time or money. It takes a second to put on and they're willfully not doing it. 
even though there are literally dozens of studies showing the benefits. You know, that's the thing. The snake handler, he understands that the snake can kill him. He's willing to accept it. And he's not going to affect anybody else unless he throws the snake at someone. The who won't wear the mask is affecting other people. And it's not like we're asking them to do a whole lot. We're not asking the person to donate a kidney. We're asking them to put on a mask. It takes a second. So I don't respect those people. I respect the snake handler. Abe, I've been telling my wife all these stories you're telling me every night. I'm telling her. You got her watching these snake handling videos. And she came to me with a, a theory. What she noticed is that every time they handle a snake, not only is there music playing, but most of the time there's a tambourine going. Are they creating an atmosphere for these snakes? It tips a little bit in their favor. It caused me to start thinking about strychnine. Why strychnine? Why not cyanide? Why don't they drink something? If, if, if the Bible says that you can pick up snakes and you can drink poison, then why not the deadliest dose of poison known yeah, to man? Yeah, I, I like wholeheartedly disagree with all of that. <laughs> okay. I, I, I truly, like, when I, so when I first started looking into this, I had the exact same types of uh, ideas about it that you did. I thought there has to be a trick. You know, they've got the uh, snakes doped up or something. You know, there's some kind of trick. What I'll say is that, uh, let me let me think how I can say this in a way that demonstrates how what I think about it. All right. Why why would you uh why think about what think about why you would even do something like that? Okay. Why why would you go take up a snake? Why would you drink a poisonous substance? And 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 let me say that you mentioned that they use strychnine. That's not always. I mean, you I think you probably heard in that Cody Coots interview that somebody drank red double eye and he choked out his vocal cords because they burned him right out of his throat. I wondered about why strychnine. I think they go for strychnine just because it's what their daddy did and it's what his daddy did and it's rat poison. If you live in a rural community, rat poison isn't that hard to get a hold of. Whereas something like cyanide, you know, so, something like that may be tougher to get a hold of. And I think it's just come down by tradition. Here's the thing. If it was a trick, what's their angle? You know, hey, I'm going to do this trick so I can be the most maligned and, and misunderstood of all the Christian sects in the world. And I can be laughed at and scorned by society if I just trick people into believing that I'm actually drinking a poison that I'm not, they don't get nothing out of this. There ain't nobody with a check at the end of the night, you know, waiting to pay them for putting on the show. You know what I mean? I, I think you're going down the wrong trail if you think that there is some trick here. If you think they're trying to create an environment that's less conducive for the snakes to bite, some of them don't even allow their snakes to go into hibernation. They keep them warm so they can continue using them throughout the winter months, which according to Jimmy Morrow makes them more dangerous. Jimmy Morrow allows his to hibernate. They don't keep them warm in the church. In the church, it was cold. But in the basement, they got these space heaters down there that keeps the snake warm. Cody Coates does the same thing because he packs snakes year round. So if they allow it to get too cold in the snake room, the snakes will go into hibernation and uh, they want the snakes to be lively. All right, what about my wife's theory then that every time she sees a snake being handled, there's music playing, this music you are after so passionately, always a tambourine, bouncing the snake up and down in kind of a rhythmic hypnotic motion. What about that? The notion that the music could be lulling the snake, making it less apt to bite. 
I think going down the trail of if it's a trick, I mean, it's been thoroughly debunked. Like, read the literature on it. I'm just telling you that these people handle serpents and they drink strychnine or they drink other various types of poison. And some of them do it almost on a weekly basis. And very rarely does anybody come into those churches that are not part of the group already. Even though, yes, they have journalists and photographers from time to time, they rarely get somebody in there who's coming in as an interested prospect for them to proselytize into their faith. That rarely happens. As a matter of fact, I heard Cody Coots say that he'd only known one person in the last decade that had come to their church that ended up becoming a snake handler. So there was like one person that he knew that came to the church, was not a snake handler, after time becomes a snake handler with them. So that sure is a, that would, if it was a scheme, that would be a mighty grand scheme to pull off to get one convert every decade. <laughs> I mean, dude, I, I believe me, brother, I've thought about all these different things as well. You know, you see like, oh, maybe it's like the atmosphere. The atmosphere, let me tell you this, go to another holiness church that is of the same ilk. Go, go to section Alabama and find another church that says holiness, but is not serpent handlers you'll find the same type of worship. You'll find tambourines. You'll find that same kind of Jesus! You know, you'll go hear all that. So what I'm saying is their handling of serpents is not what their worship style derives from. Their worship style is, is Pentecostal. It's old school Pentecostal worship that goes back, you know, at least a couple hundred years in that area of the country. So to say, well, they're using the tambourines to, and also, I mean, go out in the woods and take a tambourine with you and then grab a timber rattler. You know what I mean? Good luck with that, brother. Let me know how it goes. <laughs> take a boom box, blast some ACDC, and uh, use a tambourine and go pick up that timber rattler underneath the log. I mean, good luck. And now, ladies and gentlemen, with your message for today, Brother Abe Partridge. And the Word was God, and all things were made by Him. And without Him, nothing was made that has been made. And in Him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shineth in darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. But there was a man, hallelujah, who was sent from God, whose name was John. And the it's hard for me to even listen to this stuff. I've come such a long way. The clips that you've got on this podcast are the good parts of the message. But then there were also bad parts where I tried to beat people over the head with the Bible and basically just tried to um, tell them all the many things in their life that wasn't right, tell them all the uh, ways in which they failed God and all that kind of stuff. If you would have heard the rest of the message. <laughs> yes, Lord, but my sin of the good news is uh, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth of the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, thou shalt be saved, amen, and believe in that heart, hey, hallelujah, uh, that uh, whosoever uh, should call upon the name of the Lord uh, shall be saved, and how shall they hear without a preacher, amen, how shall they call on him on whom they not heard, and how shall they preach, brother, except they be sent, hallelujah, I've been called by God.
your story is pretty well documented. How you went from Alabama up to Kentucky, became a preacher, took your family up there, and you got your own church. And then you found rock and roll and art, and then you had a crisis of faith. Yesterday into last night, I listened to a ton of this content that you went up there and got. I realized as I was listening to it that a lot of your art does feature snakes and forked tongues, and it has ever since I've known you, since the first night I I saw you unveil your art. What was the moment, I know you read a book, you told me, that set you on this path, but what allures you on the deepest level to go investigate this snake handling, poison drinking, and acts of great faith? I mean, you're probably aware of my history, but uh, I spent nine years of my life as an independent fundamental Baptist preacher. And uh, in 2006, I was uh, pastoring in Middlesboro, Kentucky. I was pastoring an independent fundamental Baptist church there. And uh, I told God before I left that uh, I would go to every house in that in that city um, before you know I left, and I did. And uh, I went to every house there passing out gospel literature and literature for the church and I came across this guy when I was there and his name was Jamie Coots. You know, I told him I said I'm Abe Partridge, I pastor over here at this church Bright Star Baptist Church here in Middlesboro and we'd love to have you come. And he said, "Well, I pastor the uh full gospel tabernacle in Jesus name over here and uh we're one of the largest snake handling congregations in Kentucky." And uh that was the first time in my life, I guess, that I'd really knew of snake handling outside of maybe uh, some jokes or something. You know, like, I, it was just kind of one of these things that maybe, I don't know, it just was something I never even considered. In those days, I was not really concerned about anybody else's religious perspective. I was really only concerned about my own. So anyway, we ended up having like a half-hour conversation in his yard where he shows me his finger uh, Jamie Coots was bit in one of his fingers, and the top portion of his finger from his middle knuckle up ended up rotting away and falling off. And he never so much as went to the doctor or even took any Tylenol or Advil or aspirin for it. And uh, he spent four agonizing months while his finger decayed and fell off his hand. And he showed me this, and he was telling me about it. And I was just absolutely amazed, um, you know, that he, he talked about it in a way in which it was, uh, it was not insane. And him talking about it in the way where it was not insane, and me thinking that it couldn't be anything but insanity, it was just something that struck me, you know. The main thing that I took away from that conversation was just how genuinely, genuinely friendly that this guy was. And I walked away from my conversation him thinking, you know, that guy seemed like a Christian to me. And uh, I pastor a Baptist church for a long time. You know, I was a Baptist preacher for nine years, and I only met a handful of Christians in all my days. He even gave me his phone number and said, call me if you ever need anything. And so here's a here's a snake handling preacher, you know, that by chance meets a Baptist preacher who's walking around trying to proselytize everybody. And he meets me with absolute kindness and stories about faith. When I met him, I was already in the midst of, uh, you know, just this horrible depression and misery the most agony I've ever experienced in my life with questions about God and faith and what it was that I was doing with my life and the fact that I was playing a role and uh, 
here I was trying to be a Baptist preacher in Kentucky whenever uh, I had come to the terms with the fact that that was never God's intention for my life, and I was absolutely miserable doing it. But to quit meant that I was going to have to burn bridges with everyone that I knew and that I would be forsaken by the small sect of Christianity that I was involved in, the Independent Fundamental Baptist Church. And so I left in uh, 2007, joined the military and all that. Well, then in 2000, I don't know, 13, 14, something like that, I see the show called Snake Salvation. It's the National Geographic has it, and, and I'm sitting there one day, me and my wife are sitting there, I'm like, Kathy, there's that guy, Jamie Coots, he's on television. You know, a lot of it was a lampoon, almost, of their faith, but I was amazed that I saw Jamie Coots on there, and then, uh, we watched that, and then in 2014, I went into work for the Air Force one day, and I went into the office where I work. We sat down at the table, and people always leave Fox News on there. And so, um, which, I mean, you know, you just talk about a way to, to make me sick to my stomach, just play Fox News all day. And But anyway, I, I hear on the television, Snake Handling Pastor dies from snake bite. And I look up and there's Jamie Coots, he died. Serpent Handling Preacher Jamie Coots died today after suffering a rattlesnake bite. Coots was one of the stars of National Geographic's Snake Salvation. Police on the scene told reporters he suffered the bite while handling the snake at his church in Middlesbrough. Ambulances did make it to Coots, and medical professionals urged him to receive care for the bite, but Coots refused and died shortly after. Coots's son, 21-year-old Cody, who also appeared on National Geographic Snake Salvation, has previously stated that if his father died, he would most likely take over the church on Evans Drive. So, um, and I remember that like affected me. I remember, cause I mean, even though our, even though our meeting was brief, I remember being so impressed with the fact that I met a snake handling preacher who bore more of the marks of Christ than, than had most anybody I'd ever met in Middlesbrough. I was kind of upset about it, but you know, I'm living my life at this point. Well then, Jerry Joseph is a, is a great songwriter. He wrote a bunch of the great songs that widespread panic are known for. And he came and saw me. We were playing together at the 38 Songwriter Festival in early 2019. And he come to my show and he comes up to me after the show and he's, and he's got tears in his eyes and he says, man, I want you to come do my festival with Oregon this year and then I want you to go on a tour with me. And I said, let's do it. And so we start working that. And we, I get out to Oregon. Well, you know, during the process of doing that, he also gets this other Alabamian named Will Stewart, who's from North Alabama, who I was a fan of, his songs, prior to ever even meeting the guy. Well, I had heard Will's record and I loved it, but uh, I never really like, you know, it's different when you see somebody live. And so night after night, Will's playing this song called Brush Arbor. And I hear these words in the song, the lyrics, and I know that they're religious in nature. And, and uh, I, it's, it becomes my favorite Will Stewart song after hearing him night after night. And I ask him, I say, Will, well, what's this song about? He was like, man, I wrote this song about this book I read called Salvation on Sand Mountain. It's about this guy who goes to study these snake handlers and he ends up becoming a snake handler. Singing songs in the golden hour, copperheads in the Holy Ghost make fire. There's a feeling here, takes no form, like 
hidden fire when the spirit moves in the orb. So it's like this man's journey in and out of the snake handler faith. I read the book solely because I was interested in Will Stewart's song. Will told me about that back in like the middle of last year. I ended up ordering the book and then it sat on my shelf until coronavirus came and it shut my whole life down. You know, the way that I make my living, the what, what I do from day to day got completely uprooted and changed. And I was left with uh, time to, to sit down and read more than I had before. And so I sat down and I read this book and it was just riveting. I read it in about a week and uh, I was just blown away. This guy named Dennis Covington, he was a war reporter, then goes down to Alabama and studies this guy whose name was Summerford. He was a snake handling preacher in North Alabama, and he ends up uh, getting locked up for trying to kill his wife with the church snakes. During the process of his reporting on this, he ends up basically becoming a convert to the faith. And so I'm, while I'm reading Salvation on Sand Mountain, guess who's in the book? Jamie Coots. Cody Coots, the son of Pastor Jamie Coots, told WQIT that his father Jamie had been bitten several times before his death, eight times to be exact. So when he saw bite number nine, Cody felt no sense of urgency. Quote, I thought this is just like any other service, he said. But anytime you lose your daddy or your mommy, you never see it coming, end of quote. Local police say the rattlesnake bit Pastor Coots on the right hand and that he refused medical treatment. Quote, he didn't believe in going to the doctor, said Cody, adding, the thing I'll miss most about him is going snake hunting with him. That was father-son time. That was our bonding time together, end of quote, before he broke down into tears. So it all, it really all tied back to this guy, Jamie Coots, who I, who I met by chance in 2006. And I don't know, the man has just reappeared in my life. You know, it's just like, I meet this guy who is exceedingly kind. And, and in our 30 minute conversation, like I said, it was just, it was such, it was, it was such an odd conversation that I've never forgot it uh, after 14 years. And then, you know, I see him on the National Geographic. I see the news report that he died of a snake bite. And then I see in 2020, I'm reading a book and there's Jamie Coots mentioned in this book, Salvation on Sand Mountain. I become just really interested. And so I go on Amazon and I Google serpent handling and I buy every book that you can obtain on serpent handling. As far as I know, like every book that there is on serpent handling, I have read it in the last few months. That was what kind of started me down the trail. Is that, is that okay, Farrell? for listening to Alabama Astronaut. Next time, they invite Abe down to the church basement to give him a glimpse at what slithers beneath. Satan, your kingdom must come down. Head on down to alabamaastronaut.com where Abe Partridge has been busy collecting videos, pictures of his interviewees, and you can also find extra podcast episodes. But perhaps, most importantly, you can find songs upon songs upon songs. Also, while you're there, make sure to check out the bonus content tab on the website. You can get access to a bonus episode that corresponds with this one about Abe's treacherous van ride up the dark West Virginian hills. For this episode, Abe has cited Serpent Handling Believers by Dr. Thomas Burton, Professor Emeritus of East Tennessee State University, 
who investigated questions such as, do they milk the serpents of venom before handling, and the true measured doses and deadliness of strychnine. If you'd like to delve into the sources that are driving Abe, this is certainly one. Also, thanks to Dr. Spencer Green today for his thoughts on the matter. He is stationed in Houston, Texas, and is a walking library of all you need to know about snakes, snake bites, and toxic substances. Find him on his website, BayouCityMedicalToxicology.com. Theme music today is Brush Arbor by Will Stewart. And that awesome banjo was Abe Partridge, including the studio recording, Satan, Your Kingdom Must Come Down. We will be back next week. And until then, Abe Partridge and all of us other Alabama astronauts offer our most sincere thanks to the kind folks at the House of the Lord Jesus in Squire, West Virginia, for their hospitality, warmth, and kindness. See you soon.